1: I want to tell you my secret
0: now. I see dead
1: people. Silent Green is people! No, I am the father of...
2: What's in the box? You maniac! You blew it up!
0: Damn you all to hell!
1: Hello, and welcome to another Slate Spoiler Special. I am Sam Adams, a culture editor here at Slate, and today we are spoiling the movie Blinded by the Light. Blinded by the Light is the story of Javed, the British-born son of Pakistani immigrants who becomes obsessed with the music of Bruce Springsteen. It's the 1980s, the height of Thatcherism, the resurgence of the racist National Front, and the golden age of synth-pop, all of which makes Springsteen deeply unfashionable. But Javed, an aspiring writer who bristles at the future laid out for him by his immigrant father, finds that Springsteen's stories of dead-end life and young male rebellion speak to him, and that sets him at odds with both his family and his peers. Based on a true story, the movie is co-written and directed by Benedict Like Beckham's Gurinder Chata, and it's in theaters now. Joining me to spoil Blinded by the Light are Ingu Kang, a staff writer at Slate, and Natish Pawa, a copy editor at Slate. Ingu, hello.
3: Hello, hello.
1: And Natish, Hello. Hello. All right, so let us start in traditional fashion by saying what we thought, and would we recommend this movie. Uh, Natish, do you wanna go first?
2: Yeah, sure. So I too was kind of going into this expecting more of the uh, classic Grinda Chad affair, something more along the lines of Like Beckham or like A Bride and Prejudice. I was definitely surprised a little bit by how it turned out. I thought it was very moving in a lot of parts. It was a very smart look at the immigrant experience, at a specific moment in time, a specific point. But I did think at other times the musical elements also turned a little corny.
3: When you say you were expecting the traditional Gurinder-Chada mm-hmm. affair, can you talk a little bit more about that?
2: Yeah, it's that East-West uh, dynamic, which I think she's pretty much always done. The um, I'm a person living in a more Western culture. I am born into the society. I'm not an immigrant like my I'm parents. I'm trying to find something new. And... So and it definitely was something along those lines, but it was actually a lot darker, I thought, than some of her earlier stuff, because, you know, the scenes with the National Front, the, the prevalence of the skinheads, the racist movement there, it was, it was definitely less of feel good in some parts, but I thought that made it more effective. Now, Ingu, what did you think?
3: Um, I also went into the movie dreading it a little bit because I was also expecting it to be something pretty much like we had seen before. And I think it does something really different in this like third act um, that I'm sure we will discuss at length. Uh, one thing I did find interesting was that I listened to a podcast interview with Kim Masters on a podcast called The Business, which is about the entertainment industry. And essentially, uh, Gurinder Chadha talked about how she wasn't really sure that she was going to make this movie because she thought it was too similar to stuff she had done previously. And the reason why she felt motivated to do it was that Brexit happened. And after Brexit happened, she really felt compelled to sort of take a stand with a movie and this seemed like a really good movie. With which to do that, and I think that that element of the movie was interesting because it was, as Tish said, darker than everyone than I think a lot of people were expecting,
1: yeah, I think we'll talk about some of that when we get to the ending, but it is definitely like not a movie that I went where expected. I think we share. All of us, the experience of of going into this movie kind of dreading it a little bit, like expecting I was expecting kind of something like sort of, you know, straightforward and inspirational and young, young man, you know, finds himself listening to Bruce Springsteen songs, which is just like I kind of roll my eyes, like even. Just saying that, like made up sentence. Now, <laughs> like, oh, he's gonna listen to Born to Run, and then he's gonna run. Um, and it kind of is that movie for you know an hour and change or, or something like that, and then it goes like some more like interesting places towards the end. And that was when I really started to, I you know, I guess I, I became a lot more interested in it. I'm you know still not sure like that. It's a pretty sort of hard left it takes at the end, and I'm not sure it totally lands, but I think it I mean it definitely makes it like a much more interesting movie. And I and I think it does sort of, you know, lean into finally into the, some of the complexities, particularly of Springsteen's kind of later work and the stuff he's he's said about it. Um and the stuff he said about his earlier work more, more recently. Which is a sort of good time to ask in a similar spirit, kind of where you came into this like with regard to Springsteen's music, like as a fan, as a doubter, as someone who's just like It's gonna like explode if they hear Thunder Road one more time. (laughs) Uh, Where where do you stand on Bruce?
3: Um, I am not a pop culture connoisseur, and so I was at the level of, oh, I didn't know this was a Springsteen song, and I'm (laughs) sure it was like one of his like five most famous songs. I will say that so much of the movie captures like this like really aggressive '80s ugliness that I think a lot of people associate with things like. Here rock. And so it was very interesting. I mean, it's sort of the point for all of this guitar angsty, like brooding white guy music to go along with the visuals that we saw on screen that we generally associate more with pop because it's implied that's sort of where British culture in this pocket of England has already moved on to. But I wish I could say like the music was more interesting to me. Um, I think, I mean it's sort of just like it is what it is. But I also always believed Job's enthusiasm for the music.
1: Yeah. Um, Tish, what about you? Where you where do you stand on Bruce?
2: I'm I'm a pretty thorough Springsteen fan and I was not expecting like, you know, any deep cuts or any nerddom like that and I was expecting to hear, you know, most of the songs that you usually hear Born to Run, Hungry Heart, all that, which you did. But something I wondered Did you guys get the sense that this movie was kind of raucous? Because, you know, there's that part where they're talking about, you know, this is a country of sins. You know, no one cares about Bruce anymore, even though Bruce still had, like, a very productive career around that time in the 80s, I'm pretty sure. I think Tunnel in Love was around that time.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a little—they may, I guess to use a Britishism, uh, over-egg the pudding a little bit. But, I mean, I I think that, you know, if you're talking about, like— Small town, kind of, you know, not particularly hip high school, but desperately wanting to be hip mm-hmm. high school students in Britain in in the 80s. Like, I think it, it's there. I mean, there's one point where they have, like, the college radio station playing Tiffany, <laughs> um, which or like Debbie Gibson. And I'm just like, OK, like, I mean, would even if the I feel like no college radio station would ever play anything like that, Pop, yeah. like even in England. But I mean, I, th- I think the dominance of synth music like at that I mean there was definitely was a sense that like guitars were dead that they sort of belonged to you know punk and they had sort of moved past that and it was much more dominated by synth music at at the time and I mean and an interesting thing about the movie is it actually the movie is kind of like that too I mean I think it's probably you know 20 minutes half an hour before we we hear a guitar and I mean you get a lot of cutting crew and you know men without hats and stuff like that and yeah. the the first Song that's mentioned in it, but I don't think we hear. But there's an opening voiceover where Javed says his favorite song is "Baggy Trousers" by Madness, um, which is like a you know sort of you know British you know ska song. So there's there's a lot more kind of you know new wave and and kind of new romantic stuff at the beginning, which I think does maybe sort of give a little bit of context for people who didn't live through that era in the first place. Um, and I agree with you; like, it does really capture. Just the kind of like, you know, dinginess of the 80s. I mean, I like the fact that, you know, the, the kids are, I mean, they're, you know, they're wearing sort of like, you know, sort of like funky hats and like, the, you know, blazers and they have their hair up in this kind of semi like, you know, flock of seagulls thing. But it's really, it's like, it's, they're not doing it like very well. You know, they don't look like they, like somebody just watch a bunch of music videos and then like style them like that. These are sort of like, you know, crappy small town kids attempt at like mimicking like whatever they're seeing in the enemy that week or or whatever. So that felt very like true to life to me, Mm -hmm. that part of it. It is sort of as someone who who lived through them and and that does not have a tremendous amount of fondness for the 1980s. As a result of that, it did resemble the 1980s that I remember and I'm glad we are no longer living in.
3: (laughs) There is a scene where a lot of that synth adoration is personified by Matt, who is a sort of like childhood best friend that he is slowly becoming less and less good friends with. And there is a moment where Javed gives him crap for loving Seth so much. And then toward the end of the movie, Javed sort of says something along the lines of like, oh, Bruce is really meaningful to me, but obviously this music is really meaningful to you too. So I'm sorry for being such an asshole about like how much better Bruce is than, I don't know, Flock of Seagulls or whatever. (laughs) Which I thought was like a very good, thing. It's sort of like a gesture instead of like a full turn on Javed's part, but I'm glad that the movie wasn't completely unaware of its own rockism.
1: Right. I mean, it, it's sort of the, the scene that's set up there is Javed and his family, they are I, they, I mean, they say the only Pakistani family, and I think from what we see, the only kind of non-white family in the, on their their street in in Luton, which is um, kind of an industrial town in England. I have um, it's also the subject of a show, a David Kahl show called We're Only Alive for a Short Amount of Time, which I saw few months ago at the public theater and there's a whole song in there about like what a shithole Luton is. <laughs> so um I'm very like influenced by that in watching this movie. But yeah, his father is, you know, very sort of classically hardworking. He and his wife immigrated from Karachi and have set up life here. His father has been working in the the Vauxhall motor plant in Luton for sixteen years, has kind of, you know, built a life for them, but is a very kind of strict demand, sort of absolute obeisance from his his children. And um for Javed's father, you know, his insistence that the proof that he's actually kind of liberal-minded is he's not assisting, that he grow up to be a doctor. He could also grow up to be a lawyer or a real estate agent or an, <laughs> an engineer. So, that, you know, he has this choice of, like, five careers instead of one. But Javed, and this is, Javed wants to be a writer. Um, the, the, he writes poems mostly. He keeps a diary. He's been attempting to write lyrics for his uh, friend Matt's uh, synth-pop band but because Matt is has a girlfriend and Javed has apparently never had one, he's, his attempts to write you know love songs for them come off pretty flat and uninformed. He mostly wants to write sort of you know political songs about how fascists are bad, which is not the kind of thing that Matt wants to be singing while like you know standing in front of a Roland or a Moog. So so Javed is surrounded by by synth pop and it's not really doing it for him, although he doesn't really know what else he wants, but he makes a discovery when he goes off to sixth form, which is kind of like the British equivalent of, of sort of the last few years of high school. On his first day at school, Javed runs into Roops, who's a, a sixth student, also a, kind of a, a new face, and he is listening to something very intently in his Walkman. because this is, again, the 1980s. Um, and does not know what it is, so Javed asks him, and Roops just said kind of cryptically, the boss. <laughs> Javed doesn't know what that means, and Roops only tells him about the boss of us all. Um, but later on, they kind of You know, re-encounter each other in the lunchroom, and Javed asks for an explanation. And that's when Roops kind of hands him two cassettes, one of Born in the USA and Darkness on the Edge of Town, and says to him to guard them with his life. So Javed takes them home and has kind of his big epiphany, the one that we've been, we know from the title of the movie, is coming eventually, and just starts listening to the music and really finds that he's kind of swept away. It's Dancing in the Dark and then Promised Land, which is a song that comes back uh, several times in the movie and has, uh, we kind of find more and more meaning in it. But he, you know, he starts kind of listening at his desk in his room and the words from the songs are kind of appearing on screen behind him. And then he's like, you know, there's a big like windstorm running outside and there's like a little tornado in his, you know, up by the curb. And so he's kind of opens his window and is like, just, you know, staring out into the darkness and feeling the wind blow on him. And then his sister comes in and is like, what are you doing, you big weirdo? Um, so then he runs outside. I think at some point we even, like, lose the Walkman. So he's just kind of, like, you know, running outside, like, you know, playing air guitar, doing sort of, you know, these big, like, kind of musical gestures. And the the lyrics are kind of growing larger and larger and they're being, like, projected on the side of, of buildings. And, it, you know, it's all this stuff about... You know, wanting to prove that you're a man and kind of defining yourself and being feeling trapped in your small town life. And that really, you know, and that has a lot to, so much to do with Springsteen's relationship to where he grew up and his dad and got a very much by extension, like Javid's relationship to Luton and his father. And that's like so much of the movie turns on that. You know, he feels that this need to get out. Partly because he's kind of living in this, uh, you know, cul-de-sac that is, you know, frequented by like skinheads who want to like spit in his face and beat the shit out of him. But also because, you know, his dad kind of won't give him the the freedom to he he has to kind of like sneak off and take a writing class in school because if his dad found out, he'd be upset with him. So, you know, he just feels kind of constrained in every way. And Springsteen is kind of his window into another world.
3: I think... I mean, I'm glad you brought up the dad, because I think the father-son relationship in this movie is really, like, the core of the movie. And uh, I think in a lot of ways, the dad is really this very, like, I think on the one hand, this, like, almost caricature figure mm-hmm. where he is so overbearing, and also the dad is, like, very much himself. and But I think, like, on the other hand, as the movie goes along you get like a better sense of why the dad is so fervid in his own beliefs and so fervid in his idea that like Java has to succeed in like a very particular way, because if he doesn't succeed in these very particular ways, then there is a grave chance that none of the white people around him will give him a chance. And I think that we sort of see this as the movie goes along and the father who has, as Sam mentioned, worked for 16 years at this factory is like very summarily laid off. And it doesn't really matter what sort of sacrifices he's made for the company. It's just that he's like one more disposable source of labor, right? And so you do get the sense set the father is sort of preparing his son to succeed in, because he doesn't think that like his son will be able to succeed in ways that, like, other people in British society will be able to succeed.
1: Yeah, and there's kind of a recurring conversation between them, which feels timeless, but also particularly inflected by Brexit about whether or not Java is, is British, you know, and his father says, you're not British, you'll never be British, like, don't, you know, they'll never accept you. And so you, you can sort of keep your head down and do your work and be successful like that way, but you're not really part of this country. And that is... Probably not a line that would have been promin- as prominently featured in the film if it had made you know like four or five years ago. Um, what did you think of the dad?
2: The dad, a uh, figure is, was a figure that I feel is very sort of common in a lot of these, you know useless dialogues. like he's the he's the man who considers himself the man of the house. and once he's like laid off from his job, I you know he feels almost very like emasculated because of it. He, like, lashes out at the mom to, like, work harder to support the family. He lashes out at Javed to, you know, get an actual job so that you can actually, like, help out with us. I, I'm going to take your money, you know, so on, so that, we the you know, the family can be supported. And there, there are some touches in there. Obviously, this is a Pakistani family, not quite the same as my experience, but there were touches in here that I found, like, very relatable, like, um, at least with other Indian Pakistani dads I've known, where there's, like, that need for the money to go toward the daughter's wedding. Like that's such an important part of these uh, cultures that every single cent needs to be poured into this and the family needs to selflessly work toward that because it needs to be a big occasion, it needs to be a very important thing. Or um, that scene where the dad is also talking to his wife saying, you know, I feel like I have failed you all, even though it's obviously not necessarily his fault. It's just a very Thatcherite Britain, just completely austere So those uh, last two parts I mentioned kind of like deepen him in ways that made him more than just the typical son. You're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do that, even though that is what he is for a large part of the film.
1: Right. I mean, one thing I kept um, thinking about and kind of, you know, I don't know, you know, being uneasy with or, you know, a little frustrated by during the film was that was. The way this relationship with the father, you know, is being depicted, which is, you know, rhymes, as you say, with a lot of these sort of like East West, like sort of, you know, first, second generation immigrant dramas and also with, you know, the Springsteen songs that are laid over because this is only the movie set in, you know, like, you know, 84, 85. So obviously we're only dealing with, you know, the first 10 years of Springsteen albums or so. And so it is all these songs about like kind of rebellion and getting out and, you know, getting away from, you know, particularly your your dad and the people, you know, and sort of getting away from that life. And it really I kept thinking about um, the way Springsteen has talked about his dad since, you know, particularly he talked the way he talked about him in his uh, the Springsteen and Broadway show, which I saw on his, and there's a film of on Netflix now. And he and he talks a lot in that about um not exactly, kind of regretting the stance he took in those early songs, but just how you know, as he as Springsteen has gotten older and become a father, and after his you know his dad died, he felt like you know so much of that stuff came out of this profound like admiration for his his father that he could never. You know, quite make him see. And one of the things he says he he kind of wished he would have said to his dad is, you know, Springsteen is kind of this classic embodiment of the kind of working class hero. But as he as he points out in the show, he's actually he never worked like a regular job a day in his life. You know, he, um, so, you know, he never worked in a factory. Um, he never kind of did any of that stuff. So that that character in his songs is really, and the one he kind of you know played on stage to a certain extent is kind of his idealized version of his father, you know, and is really that, that profound investment and admiration of the kind of working class striver, you know, laying and the way who laid the groundwork for his son to become an artist is you know, so much of that informs the music and I and I was just kept wondering if the movie was gonna to come to terms with that part of it. I mean it's Springsteen wise it's anachronistic, but I mean I think it's you kinda of have to see and it also just this is just a song about like, you know, a young man getting away from his parents and, and getting out and going off to be an artist, like that seems would have seemed kind of unsatisfying and I don't know, I don't know, extremely American, among yeah. among other things.
2: I, I think it kind of got to that stage like a little bit near the end, although I kinda of wish it had developed more. Um the scene where Javed is like, you know, reading his poem and he sees his dad and the family finally standing at the back and then Javed, after seeing that i become so emotional he kind of comes up with his own thing about my dad is here he sacrificed so much for my family i admire him so much for that you know i respect him for that despite all this you know rebellion and stuff that i've been doing for myself to express myself as well so i think that that in like an alternate form is him like you know coming both coming to terms with like his dad's sacrifice and you know him like realizing the dream that his dad wanted for him, but in just a different way, and his dad coming in terms of that as well.
3: I think the other really interesting thing about the dad, um, although this also isn't super developed in the movie, is that the dad really cares about the Pakistani community in that area where he goes to a lot of different people's homes, and he makes sure that they're okay. And he spends so much time doing this that the family sort of resents him. And I think that the dad sort of tries to play off his generosity. There's like a really funny line early in the movie where they go to another Pakistani family's house nearby. And the two dads are sort of joking about how like, oh, like this neighborhood used to be good. And then all of these like Pakistani families moved in and now it's terrible. Um, (laughs) Which I think is like a very good joke in terms of sort of diverting audience expectations. But also it gives you like a sense of the fact that like the dad really wants to make sure that even though he's joking around about the influx of Pakistani families, like in the area, he wants to make sure that they're taken care of. He wants to keep track of how the local mosque is doing, which happens to be under threat of, is it bombing by local skinheads and so at some point Java sort of asks him like why are you spending all this time away from the family and you're not even getting any money for it and the dad gets really offended and says something like "Why would you expect that I would take money for like doing what I'm supposed to be doing and I thought that was also like another really good way of humanizing the dad
1: yeah I mean the movie is really it's and I think like, you know, Bennett, like Beckham certainly does this. I mean, it's, you know, it's very like kind of heavily, you know, tropey in places. I mean, and, you know, it is, it is this is a movie where, you know, the um, javeds like, you know, first day at school, he sits down and there's this English teacher, uh, you know, writing the words, like, why are you here on, on the blackboard? And then she starts, you know, talking about um their, the curriculum for the, the, and they're going to, you know, sort of read stuff by, you know, universal voices like Shakespeare and Virginia Woolf, and it's like, universal, wink, wink. <laughs> you know, so it's definitely not shy about scenes like that, but then it does have a way, you know, this is a movie where there's a sequence where he and and Rips are kind of running around, like singing Bore to Run in this kind of borderline like you know musical theater sequence where they don't quite they're they're like kind of singing you can sort of hear them but like this the real song is playing underneath them and they got to the line tramps like us and he literally like points at a hobo on the street <laughs> you <know>? and, <laughs> and, and you're just like you're just like okay like that's that's the movie we're watching mm-hmm. like is that tramps like him see yeah. but but i think that that kind of Cheese ball corniness is like that's also if like if you're gonna love bruce springsteen's music like you have to embrace some of that as well like you know it's a lot of it is like kind of ridiculous and over the top and you know a lot of it is kind of like musical theater for straight white guys but i mean it's like you just gotta lean into that excess and and over the topness of it and and embrace that as well if you're gonna kind of get anything out of the songs yeah
2: that's why i found the song choice here so interesting as well because it really is just like some of Springsteen's biggest, like most bombastic songs, like you know, it's not Nebraska or right. Ton of Love and stuff. You know, it's it's all like Born to Run. Like you say, you know, it's it's Hungry Heart, This Promised Land. It's it's literally everything that's just like the biggest vision of Springsteenism, as it were, that it can be. Right. Yeah. You know? So it lends itself very well to that sort of thing. Obviously, she really wants to play that up, um, Jada, and directing this. But that it also made me wonder sometimes how aware this film was whether it wanted to be like a musical or not because there were just like these sequences in between and but it it didn't feel very like consistent to me you know what i mean like the musical sequences there's that scene where there's Javed and Roop's are at the diner with like the, the skinheads and they just start like Screaming the lyrics to Badlands at them. I'm thinking I think it's Badlands. Yeah. I th- yeah. And the uh, yeah, and then they start walking out and it starts playing and I'm just like, Oh wait, oh so that's how we're gonna seek into that.
1: There are a lot of sequences like that. The, the Born to Run one is, is a really like interesting one for me. That kind of starts when he is that kind of like an outdoor market. Um, he's taken a kind of a part time job selling clothes for Matt's dad, who's played by Rob Brydon. And is he and he's sort of like the old like rock dude in mm-hmm. the movie. Like he's when when Javid said he's into, he's into Bruce Springsteen, everyone else is like, oh, really? Like, nobody cares about Springsteen anymore. Matt said is like, oh, all right, yeah. <laughs> so he starts, you know, Javid like puts on his Walkman just to like occupy him while he's doing the songs, but then he starts singing and then Rob Brydon joined in and then they're both kind of singing and like pointing at people and they're sort of like singing to people around, but then people start dancing and then there's like a whole – um, there. Then the kids are like kind of running through the streets, and there's like a whole like kind of street crew, like kind of break dancing in time to the song, and it, that it, it's you know that it becomes like more of sort of a full musical sequence. But that was like the moment when Rob Bryden joins it and starts singing with him. Like that for me was like one of the most moving moments in the movie, just because it's it's just about. Like I read so. I mean, again, like so corny, but just like kind of the power of of music. Like the, you know when Rupes like hands him the tapes and is like guard these with your life. Like mm-hmm. it's such a, it's so over the top. But I so clearly remember like being a, a teenager and being so invested in not just like music, but in the you know what at the time were these very like limited objects, you know, that it's like you possessed the tape of this music so you could listen to it and if someone else wanted to listen to it, they had to, like, you know, borrow the tape or copy it or something and, and just the kind of, like, specialness of just having access to it. It's so easy to, like, take for granted. You know, Sounds like, hard.
3: I'm so glad I'm very young. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Going back to the musical aspect of it, I, I think that I overall liked the fact that it was not really
0: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
3: It was very much not a jukebox musical, right? Like you don't really have the characters singing the songs on their own. You hear Bruce a lot more than you hear anybody else. And I like that there were sort of these like gestures toward a musical without actually going full musical. And I think that as a person who is not, particularly invested in Springsteen's music, if the movie had slowed down in order to like make space for like a whole three minute rendition or something, I think on the one hand, it would have slowed down the movie considerably. And it's already like a pretty long-ish movie. And I think number two, if you sort of had like that polished, bobbly aspect of a musical. I don't think it would have really worked with sort of this gritty, shitty small town where everyone kind of sucks. Right. Um, <laughs> those two things would not have melded together, and so I sort of like that it was sort of this willfully half-assed musical.
1: Right. That's I mean, there, there's one point. I think it's the first time, like the first time, Chavez listening to Dancing in the Dark. Like he just he starts listening to the song, and then he presses stop and fast forwards. Just it's just like they can condense the song like a little bit, but it's like who stops a song like they're supposedly having this transcendent experience to like the first <laughs> yeah. time they're listening to and like fast forward is like oh maybe there's a better line 10 seconds <laughs> it's, yeah. it's just so something that is like so bizarre and i think it's just there to like condense the number a little bit so that it's not like wall-to-wall music for for 45 minutes and i think
3: maybe... and there's 19 bruce springsteen songs here so
1: yeah there's only like
3: wall like, wall Walt bruce
1: yeah, I think is, like, Born to Run the only one you hear all the way through? Like, there's only, like, one or two that you actually get all of, and then a lot of the others it's just, like, you know, a couple lines or a couple minutes.
2: Yeah, I, I think Born to Run is definitely the fullest sequence. Uh, even even features, like, the instrumental transitions and also, like, the little, uh, what do they do the one, two, three, four, and yes. then did a the little jump. So, yeah, I, I think you're right about that. It's mostly, like, snippets of the other one. Speaking of, what did you guys think of... The use of the lyrics just like being read out in the air. Like you could see the lyrics as they were being like heard by Javed in real time, projected on the screen. I did not love it. <laughs> it, was, it was very, it was, I thought it was very corny.
3: Uh, that was my least favorite aspect of the movie. Like it's already such a worshipful movie, and the sort of like scriptural treatment that the movie gave. Bruce Springsteen's lyrics by putting his words up on the screen and just having, like, the lead actor, like, close his eyes and just feel them. (laughs) It was just, like, one smidge too far.
1: Right. And I, I just generally believe that that is, like, a cruel thing to do to rock lyrics, especially. Like, they're not really meant to be. You know, it's like there's a couple of people, like you know, or like Lou Reed and Patty Smith, you know, people start to like issue these like, you know, books of collected lyrics as if they're poetry. And it's like, no, they're, they're not poetry. Like they're actually bad poetry and poetry would also make bad lyrics. Like they just serve different functions. And the, you know, the, like, the, like I always go back to like, how does it feel? The, the Bob Dylan line? Like that's, I mean, that's an incredible moment in song and it, but that's not like a good sentence. You know, yeah. it's like, oh, what an amazing line of poetry! It's like the the point of it is that it's not poetry. The point is like you need music and and the singer's you know performance and everything else to give it life. You know, so if, if the words were complete on the page, you wouldn't need a song.
2: Yeah, that's true. It's not like he. It's not like he's in love with Springsteen the poet. He's in love with Springsteen like the full-fledged artist, the image, the the rocker, and so on.
1: Right. You know? I mean, but I mean, yeah, you know, the character is a, a writer, and I mean that is you know movies love writers because they are, tend to be written by writers yeah. um, but writing is also like one of the most like boring like uninteresting things to film So, <laughs> that, that, like you always end up with that kind of you know dilemma like you can't make a movie about Virginia Woolf and just so, show her like you know sitting in a room like you know scribbling on paper for like an hour and a half so hmm. you have to kind of come up with other things to enliven that which in this case is uh, pointing at bums yeah. Um <laughs> Um,
3: I will also say that with regard to Springsteen, uh, he got a lot of beauty shots in this because there's like a point where like a bunch of posters from the mall have been like thrown away, I think, by like a music store or something. HMV, Um, right? Yeah. And so he picks them up and like takes them to his room and has this like shrine to Springsteen. And then, of course, he does like the requisite cutting off the sleeves off a flannel and like wearing denim jackets. And yeah, I think I never realized how beautiful Bruce Springsteen is, and you really get that in this movie. So that's good.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah, they didn't—they didn't like put his ass on the cover of Born to Run for no reason. Or, oh, <laughs> uh, Born in the USA. Sorry, oh dear, I'm gonna get exiled now. Um, so
3: let's—it's America's ass. We all know.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah.
3: So I will say, as much as I liked a lot of the parent-child tensions in the movie, a lot of this, I wouldn't necessarily call it like filler exactly, but like it did feel really overstuffed. One of his goals that he sort of sets out for himself at the beginning of the movie is that he's going to kiss a girl. And like that whole romance is like pretty wan, I think. He takes up with this like really liberal activist girl and who is like also in this english class and i think like the only thing i really got out of that whole relationship is like a scene where he goes to dinner at her parents house and her parents sort of accuse her at the dinner table of like dating people who are going to be like the most controversial picks or like the most provocative picks and then Either Javed or probably more like the girl is sort of like, what do you think is so controversial about Javed? And then the parents can't really say anything. So they sort of like sit squirming silently in their seats. Like that was a really good scene.
1: Right. Because uh, other than the fact that he's Pakistani, I mean, he is the most like kind of boring, like middle of the (laughs) road,
2: straight laced guy you can imagine. Because, like, his girlfriend has, like, a very distinctive, like, style, like, with her hair and what she wears and so on. You know, very, like, sort of punk radical so on. She keeps saying she's, like, anti-fascist and so on. And Javed is, like, you know, other than his occasional Springsteen cosplay, is mostly pretty, like, straight-laced in his wear and demeanor and everything else. Which is kind of funny to me. But, yeah, I also, I agree with you, Ingu. I did not find the relationship super compelling. Especially when they have like their little break. I didn't feel anything bad about it. I don't know.
3: <laughs> yeah. So And then I think there's like a whole storyline with the best friend where Javit is sort of like increasingly a dick to his best friend. His like white friend that he grew up with. And uh, there's I think like a certain point where the white friend sort of points out that he has saved Javit from the skinheads or a racist taunts on the playground or whatever for their whole lives that was okay but i think the only really interesting thing about the best friend in the new wave group is that he is played by Tom and Baratheon and sort of has that like same hapless quality to him so (laughs) a lot of this other stuff is in the movie and just like does not really need to be there there's a whole other thing with the english teacher who is like the type of like magical English teacher to take like a school assignment and like enter it behind the student's back into like an essay contest. And like, wow, the essay, he wins the essay contest. And then like the reward is like a, trip to New Jersey (laughs) (laughs) and so like David and Ruth go on a Springfield pilgrimage essentially to like Bruce's childhood home and like a bar that like Bruce went to one time and a lot of the stuff doesn't really need to be there it's like very cute and it also feels very indistinct.
1: I mean, there's this stuff. There's this stuff about their like neighbor too, who's this kind of elderly white man who we see. There's a bunch of sort of significant shots of him staring you know, at, at Java. That's and and, and it's sort of like, is he like, is he another racist? Like, is he resent that these people have moved in next door? And then, and then there's, is he more, you find that? No, actually he fought in world war two and he thinks fascists are bad. Mm-hmm. Um
2: So he And ag- he's he like agrees. very supportive of Java's like career and writing ambitions. His anti-national
1: like, front. Yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. Like- exactly.
3: I think of all of the various subplots, the one I like the most is this like very tiny one where Javid has this occasionally uneasy relationship with his sister. Um, He has, I think, two sisters in this, one who is getting married, who is older, and then one, I think, who is younger, who is sort of the one who is like, you're crazy. Um, And essentially, he ends up owing her a favor. They go to something that I have never heard of called a daytimer, which is basically like a daytime club where both of them skip school and they go out dancing and he sees his sister in like a completely brand new light because she is just like uh, dressed like... Does does he
1: call her like, what does he say? Like you look like the Pakistani Madonna or something like that? Like she's got, the, oh, yeah. she's got like a <laughs> yeah. sequin top and the kind of, you know, teased up hair and whatever. and.
2: I, I did find it interesting that that uh, nightclub sequence was the one sequence where they were playing like any sort of like Bhangra style music or anything. Right. Like, that was like the one time where like the music of where he come from is like kind of represented. So it was, was kind of nice that they let that also have its moment in you know, a movie that's otherwise so saturated with Bruce.
1: Right. I mean, I think you hear like in his the cassette deck in his dad's car, like for like three seconds. And I, I had to look in the credits to find this, but they did get Eric Rahman, Who's like the most famous Bollywood composer to, to do a new song mm-hmm. for the film. But I think you have to like wait till the end credits after the Bruce song has finished playing to hear that. Um, so that feels like a little, little more gestural than sort of actually woven into the fabric of it. Yeah. But it, it's nice, you know. He's got he's on the soundtrack. I'm sure he's gonna get a cut. Yeah. But it's such
3: like a aggressively like father son movie. It was yeah. sort of nice to mm-hmm. be like, oh right, like also these like women don't exist.
1: Uh, the daytime scene is like one of those things that it's like you've a lot of the stuff in this movie you've seen. Before, um, only, you know, mostly with like a, you know, white lead protagonist, but all this, uh, all this stuff about him, like uh, rock and roll saved his soul and inspired him to like, break with his dad and whatever. And then the daytime scene is like, oh, I have not actually seen this in a movie ever.
3: Yeah, let's make that movie.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot of Java. you know, finally gets his big break. He gets a kind of an internship at the local paper.
2: Um, Unpaid. Yes, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's the eighties. Um he does it's manage journalism. to get his, Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he does,
1: exactly yeah, he does manage to get his first byline because the this, the re- reporter kind of asks around. He's like, You're Muslim, right? Do you mm-hmm. speak Urdu? Uh, I need somebody to go down to like the local mosque and like, you know, translate for me. So he gets a byline that he gets Wait,
3: can we unpack that scene a little bit though? Oh, yes,
1: yeah, I'll be <laughs> sure. Yeah.
3: There's like a bunch of scenes where someone asks Javed something, and I think something that the movie does very well is capture the two seconds where usually a white person will ask a personal question. And then you have to sort of anticipate that something bad might suddenly be coming down the line. But also you can't like get bent out of shape about it because it might not be anything bad. And so like that, on the one hand, it's sort of a classic movie move, right? Like someone asks a question and then there's like suspense about like what's going to happen. But I think on the other hand, is also like this very like racialized experience. Someone asking you like, are you Muslim? And then like in like those three beats, Wondering what is going to come next. And I think it captures that really well. And I think the other thing that very tiny scene captures really well is this idea that, hey, maybe there should be more diversity within newsrooms because then you can get more news than you might otherwise.
1: Right, right. Absolutely. So yeah. So then he, but then so he actually gets to buy and He does get paid for that one article. Yeah. He gets forty pounds from it, which is just enough to buy tickets to Springsteen at Wembley Stadium, which is a gig that is about to go on sale. Unfortunately, the tickets are on go are going on sale precisely at the moment of his sister's wedding. Who would have thought? <laughs> so while his family is is driving to the wedding, he sort of sneaks away, and I guess no one notices that he's not in the car to go buy these Springsteen tickets. And while he is doing that. His the motorcade that's uh, headed to the community center for the marriage runs smack into a national front march and a counter protest um, that has been moved to that day, and his father and his uncle are pulled from the car and uh, beaten. Um, not you know seriously injured, but they're you know kind of bloodied up. There's a kind of small riot breaks out, and Javed then. Pulls up to see that this has already happened and he missed the whole thing. So he, you know, kind of like he wasn't there to protect his father from this. And that sort of sets up the end of the movie where he is, you know, again, this very kind of classically tropey scene where he is like set up to he's won his contest. He has gone to America. He's come back. Now's his moment to get up on stage in front of the school and read his story about you know, an American dream in Luton. <laughs> um, and then he gets up there and one of you describe what happens next.
2: Yeah. Yeah. He's going up there. He's reading his poem that has been selected for this occasion. And then all of a sudden his, his father with whom he's had a very bad break with because of his career ambitions and partly due to that incident shows up with the rest of his family in the back. And He gets very emotional while seeing this and while in the midst of reading his poem. He initially tries to back away, but then is prodded to keep continuing. And so then he kind of comes up with something on the fly about, you know, this is, uh, you know, he talks about his family, you know, how much he loves and owes them. And just, uh, I'm I'm, I'm trying to, it it was mostly centered on his family, if I remember correctly. And then, but it is, it's
1: also about, like, his friend Matt and how he's yeah. sort of, like, forsaken, like, his, he, like, found this new exciting thing, but he kind of has left his old friends
2: Yeah, like, behind. in pursuit of, like, what he loved, in pursuit of Springsteen, in pursuit of his career, then he ended up, like, leaving behind a lot of things he loved. And he's trying to, like, find that again, circle back to that again. And it's very, it's very sweet and moving. And his dad and him eventually reconcile. And his dad's like, oh, you know, I love Springsteen. You know, he talks about hard work and stuff. Is he actually Pakistani? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
3: But I think Uh, a lot of this sort of impromptu essay that he makes up on the spot is about how his previous essay was wrong, because a lot of it was about, like, how much he didn't like gluten, how much he sort of resented his family and, like, where he grew up. And then he sort of realizes, or he says, like, in this essay that he doesn't really believe in it anymore because what he's realized between writing that essay at the beginning of the movie and like now is that he relates to so much of like what Bruce has to say, but also it doesn't apply 100% to him. Um, uh, And a lot of it is about like how he wouldn't really, I guess we, I don't know if like Bruce rejected his family, but like there's a lot of stuff in there about like how, Uh, this sort of idea of lone wolfism, which is like, you know, basically like American individualism, right? Doesn't like apply as much to him. And so there's this idea that you can look at like what you admire from a larger culture, or in this case, from like a different culture, and then just sort of get like out of it what you want or what you need, and then have those elements only apply to your own life. And so... Instead of sort of this, like, process of, like, duplication, um, it's a process of adaptation, right? Like, I think that's sort of, like, what makes the end of the movie so powerful, at least for me, which is that he doesn't need to sort of be, like, a copy of Springsteen. He can be, like, his own thing.
1: Right. And I think part of it is also, I mean, if I'm remembering this right, I think it's when he goes, he's sitting in the Stone Pony and they're playing, like, a live and they have like a live springsteen you know concert video like playing up there and he ta- and there's this kind of intro to a song where he talks about writing it for his you know sister and his and his brother-in-law and they're going through you know hard times and that uh, the song is kind of really and, and dedicating it to them and it's sort of like oh actually the individualism like represented in the songs is like not all there is to them or all that inspires them like he's writing about characters and his and a certain thing but it, i mean this is also like like my hometown isn't a song that's like in the movie, but I think it's sort of that because it would kind of blow the reveal at the end of it. it's like, oh, he also wrote like kind of melancholy songs about like going home and realizing that, you know, he like he needed to get out, but he also like misses it and informed who he is. Because that's sort of where the movie ends up. But yeah, but I think that that like hybrid kind of conclusion that it comes down to, like, it just makes the movie so much more interesting.
3: And smarter.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. And I don't know if you know, maybe doing that as sort of like a, you know, last act twist, it's like it had, a, had an impact on me, but I, you know, maybe the movie would have been more interesting had it sort of been like folded in later rather than just being the, you know, sort of like 180 that it pulls at the end. But um, I'm glad it did it, at least.
3: Yeah, I yeah. think the way that the movie is structured is that Javed breaks away from his family, decides he's going to pursue his own interests, like a girlfriend and then it supposedly makes him go too far and there is a moment where he sort of is a dick to his dad where he sort of tells his dad something i don't know it's like why don't you get a job or like why don't you stop like wasting your time and like or something along those lines where he goes too far while talking to his dad and like the whole theater sort of put that like very predictable thing of like, oh, he said it. (laughs)
2: Um,
3: But I think the movie could have made him just like a tad more unlikable and it did seem a little cautious on that end. And if it had sort of made him feel maybe like more like a teenager, really, just like more callow, it probably would have been better. But even still, I really enjoyed this movie.
1: Are you going to listen to more Springsteen now?
3: Never. (laughs) (laughs) All right.
1: On that note, (laughs) please subscribe to the Slate Spoiler Special podcast feed. And if you like the show, please rate and review it in the Apple Podcast Store or wherever you got your podcasts. If you have suggestions for movies or TV shows we should spoil, or if you have any other feedback you'd like to share, please send it to spoilers at slate.com. Our producer is Daniel Hewitt, and our engineer is Asha Saluja. Thank you for listening.